Welcome back to the Byron Lazine Podcast. Today, I get my good friend to join me, Greg Schwartz. He is the co-founder and CEO of Tomo. He's got an extensive history in the industry. Of course, he was one of the execs that built Zillow to the beast that it is today. Greg shares with me so many entrepreneurial hacks that are must-haves over the next 12 to 14 months as this market shifts, what they're doing to broaden home ownership. This is something that every agent, team leader, broker, should not miss, share it with a friend, and enjoy the pod. Greg, last time we got to hang out, we were in Napa. We're in Stanford at yeah. Tomo HQ. Almost as fun. Almost, almost as, actually your views and just the whole vibe here. It's is, pretty good. It's awesome. Yeah, so we had a lot of fun in Napa, and I want to dig into some of the entrepreneurial mindset stuff that you shared with us because I will, I've heard you talk, we've hung out, we've had dinner, we've met a bunch of times, but I walked out of that particular experience like, whoa, Greg Schwartz is on his game right now. He's got the history and the experience that a lot of agents, team leaders, brokers need to hear right now. And so I want to dig into that. But for people that don't know Greg Schwartz, the history, former Zillow exec, everything from, I don't know, wherever you want to start till today. Give us the background. Back when I was a child. Yeah, kidding, start it there. Kidding, Let's do kidding. it. It's wherever you want to start. Interesting to an N of one. Yeah. Uh, hey, I grew up, um, hmm, I'll give you the one thing that has context for today. Yeah. Uh, so my, my dad was an attorney and walked around with a yellow legal pad with a line down the middle. And all of life was a pro and a cons, a risk assessment list. Every day. Every day, every interaction, lovely man. Uh, and he had a tradition in our family, which I'm kind of continuing, called Stand and Deliver. And Stand and Deliver is once a week, each of the kid in the family had to stand up in the kitchen at dinner time, And he would have given us a magazine to read that week. I had to read Business Week magazine every week. It's weird. From the time I was 11 years old on. Wow. And I was responsible for the content. I was reading The Source, by the way. The Source. The Source. Yeah, music. You had more friends probably. Cooler kid. (laughs) So I had Business Week, and Dad would give me a case. He He wouldn't tell you what the case was. And you'd have to stand up literally, and he'd tell you, he'd ask a company question. Wow. And you had to parse without any preparation other than having read this magazine the fundamental challenges of a business. And it taught me something very, very clear, which I use today. And it taught me first principles. Without preparation, you have to break down any problem, any challenge into its first principles to avoid chaos. And so that's been the theme of my career. That's how this, this, this breaks in. Whatever I've done, it's fast-changing, dynamic assignments that were pretty chaotic because there was change coming, usually technology-driven change. Yeah. And uh, some folks can look at the chaos and figure out what's most important and get behind those things. And when I think about real estate agents, the thing that I've always felt great kinship with real estate agents for is time capital is the thing most important to any entrepreneur of a particular real estate agent. You don't get, you're not getting a base salary, right? You don't get paid hourly. Nope. You got to figure out where you're going to invest your time, what your value prop is, and that defines whether you're successful or not. So that's the intro into the thread. All careers, I think, have threads in them, something that connects them. In mine has always been, because of childhood, uh, addressing chaotic situations and pulling the fundamental lessons or understandings from them and getting behind them. 
So that was probably the best background story we've ever had. But give me just the bullet points. Zillow yeah. was the last stop before yeah. founding Tomo. What was before yeah. that? What, what were the bullet point line chart? Where I, where I, were you? I came out of college, and I, the only thing I, I I knew is I didn't want to be a banker. Ironically, I'm now a, a mortgage banker. <laughs> uh, it's funny how life rolls because uh, I didn't like rules. Yes. Uh, and uh, I, like many entrepreneurs, famously uh, have ADHD, so I've got to learn. I got to I got to keep the crazies moving here. You do have a little bit of that, don't you? Uh, yeah, proudly. Yeah. Proudly, we call it a, 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 we call it now a learning difference. Yeah. Uh, teachers called it something else. Um, I went in the ad business out of college, uh, and uh, uh, the guy at the, sitting at the next desk at a shop called Kirschenbaum and Bond bought the first ad campaign on AOL. If any of you remember what America Online was, yeah. and well, I, I was maybe intrigued. not Bobby and Haley. Yes, but. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, this guy was bought a, an ad, uh, one of the first ad campaigns for a mutual fund at AOL, and I was looking over his shoulder, and it seemed intriguing. So it started my internet career. So I went there and, and did a bunch of things, worked on online advertising at a company called DoubleClick, which became Google's ad business, mm-hmm. or part of it. Uh, and, and then I was at, uh, ultimately, at CNN. I was running a bunch of digital businesses at CNN. Yeah. And Rich Barton, one of the great entrepreneurs of our age, Expedia, 100%. Glassdoor, and, and, and Zillow, of course, rang me up and said, I'd like you to take an 80% pay cut. I'd like you to commute <laughs> from New York to Seattle yeah. uh, twice a month. What year was this? Ah, shoot, I'm not great with years, yeah, yeah. but it was Zillow was six months old or seven months old. Okay. And I'd like you to come on and figure out the business model because we don't have one. So early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. So, and I had a young family, a newborn kid, and a wife with a big career. Yeah. Uh, so, isn't that an enticing offer? Quit a great job yes. at CNN well, as an executive and dive in. And I said no. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, and and then uh, and then he wooed me. Uh, uh, or I don't know if he wooed me or I wooed myself. <laughs> you convinced but, yourself. But I, I convinced myself to take a chance. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't want to be in the box for the rest of my career at a big American institution and, and yeah. just check the boxes. Uh, and I spent 13 years at Zillow. The last assignment uh, was, was president of IMT, which is all of their marketplace businesses. So everything but um, their offers business. Yeah. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, I had accountability for and and spent 13 years, and then it was time to go. It was time to freshen it up. Uh, I was a little stale. Same people, same arguments, same planning, 13 times in a row. I think we've all lived that. And it was time to, to, to get a fresh breath of air, and uh, that's where Tomo resulted from. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, big names that you, you've worked with, CNN. IMT, Zillow, now launching Tomo. Through all these times, there's been incredible market shifts from time to time. We saw COVID a couple of years ago. You know, uh, you know, you worked through the GFC. We're heading into a particular market shift. Everybody's been impacted already. Some yep. people have taken their medicine early. You guys have done a little bit of that. Yep. Other people maybe should be taking medicine in the real estate industry. Just talk about the market shift, what, what it means for the industry, and then we're going to talk about maybe what it means for consumers. Yeah. It, it depends. <laughs> kind of funny. Businesses uh, are never treading water. They're either on the rise or the fall, going up or going down. Mm-hmm. 
it's sometimes hard to see where you are in that curve. Uh, and businesses that are growing, that have an insight, that have a compelling team, that understand why they exist, uh, don't often see uh, the environmental factors around them. Sure, real estate's going to slow a little bit from an epic, epic run. And we mean slow a little bit by transaction count. Sure. Hey, yeah. I'm not sure if the Fed knows what's going to happen. I'm not sure if, if this guy uh, <laughs> has a perfect crystal ball. Certainly, we've appreciated and home values tremendously, and it's getting to the point where many of us think it's getting to be unhealthy. Yeah. We can talk about that. Certainly, with rising interest rates driven by inflation, it's gonna it's introduced a level of worry and concern among home buyers uh, and all of us that it's gonna slow uh, uh, transaction volume down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I'd expect. I, I don't expect fundamentally. Um, we've got a big demographic curve. Yeah, housing and economy is about demographics. At the end of the day, we've got a bunch of millennials and and a lot of Z's coming into the housing market, wanting to buy their first home. Five million more thirty five year olds today than two thousand seven. So it's a it's a much different. And not you know obviously you know better than anybody the lending standards are much different as well. Sure so are. there's a lot of different dynamics that when people talk about GFC in two thousand seven falling off a cliff that don't exist today. You're right. And so when we look at you know, many of our friends, and we share some real estate friends from the conference scene, um, who are quite concerned about what's ahead. Mm. That's not going to define whether a business is successful or not. Yeah, it never has. Are we going to sell six million homes or five point two million annualized homes? Still, a tremendous number of transactions Tons and people that have a need. Are folks still going to need a home that they want to grow their family in? Of course, they are. Um, with rental costs where they are, I know we've been seeing some news stories about many rental properties going over list yes. for the first time in a long time. Yeah. We just covered it on the real world this week. Yeah, yeah you did. I saw yeah. it. Uh, is, is owning a home, building equity, building my savings still a compelling notion? Of course it is. Mm. Will some businesses suffer right now? Yes. Yeah. Will some businesses take market share and grow right now? Of course. Uh, as it has always been. Well, I want to... I want to unpack something I think you're alluding to with, you know, building your own equity and the unaffordability of a home. Rents are going up. Investors are buying homes. I definitely want to get into that from the consumer perspective, but just stay in this industry, business, entrepreneur lane for a second here. There, There are companies right now that are telling themselves, okay, I know there's a market shift. I understand it. It is happening. I even maybe believe that a recession is upon us, yep. but I believe that I'm going to be the company that outpaces the market and that just is that unicorn and beats everybody. And then there's other companies that are saying, I'm preparing, you know, going all the way back to, you know, your childhood story, I'm preparing right now for every outcome. Which entrepreneur leader is going to win? Is it the one that just has a steadfast belief that they're going to be able to beat the market? or the one that maybe has that belief but is doing everything they can to prepare for the worst possible outcome. Yeah. So hope is not a financial management strategy. Yeah. Hope is a mindset where you're open to learn mm-hmm. and open to big, uh, uh, almost unattainable success occurring. But that's not how you set the budget. That's not how you win in times of, of contraction. Uh, being disciplined, having a present leader, 
having a leader who sees the most important things and ultimately eliminates the things that are optional and makes very, very intentional bets based on facts. That's how you win in this kind of a cycle. It's just, I call it shot calling. Uh, some call it being a wartime leader. I don't, I don't love the metaphor. I, yeah. call, I love it being a shot caller, which is when times are abundant, it's easy to be good. It's hard to tell who's great yes. and who's just okay. When times are contracting, that's where leaders have to be present. You have to look at the chaos, like I was talking about before, and talk to your team about what is the single most important thing to focus on, and then you have to shot call it every single day. Are you doing that quarterly, monthly? You're saying every day you're talking about what's the most important, but is that a metric that you're measuring? Here's our three, like we call them rocks or whatever, like here's yep. our three rocks, here's our, our three KPIs that we're focused on right now and we're not deviating, or how do you do that? Yeah, uh, the structure that we use, which many use, are OKRs, objectives and yep. key results. We set them uh, generally quarterly. We evaluate them monthly. You know, there's a famous book by John Doerr, um, the venture capitalist that that installed that system at Google. That's a tool. That's not an answer. Okay. Uh, the answer is having present leadership who understand the building blocks of a business, who are constantly talking to customers. In this case, agents or transaction coordinators or loan officers uh, every single day and listening and that they have the flexibility to adjust as they learn. That's the key. So we're, we're pretty careful. I sit, you know, you, you saw it, I sit in, in almost a trading floor environment next to our loan officers. Yeah. So I'm constantly hearing what they're, what they're talking to customers on the phone and the reaction they see. I learn more from that than any planning session. There's a lot of companies like your, the culture in here, by the way, is unbelievable. I walk yeah. in and we're just like, oh, this is, this is cool, this is hip, yeah. it's got a good feeling. You, and you guys are doing something a lot of companies are doing. Half of the week or uh, three out of five days is yep. in office, two days is work in office or wherever. How do you keep on those days where you're remote or a majority of the company's remote, how do you keep leadership present in those moments when you're not physically together? What does that look like? Yeah, I, I try not to. Uh, if folks have a very clear sense of accountability, what yeah. they have to accomplish, when they have to accomplish it. You, we don't run. We actually, we're very clear. We don't. We don't have managers here. We have leaders. It sounds like a, a, a bit of of management nonsense, but it's a very stark and important statement to our company. Uh, this is not a mommy and daddy culture. So everybody is ex leader, ex. You know, if it's a different yep. department or whatever. Yep. That that's it. We have leadership training. We don't have management training. Yeah. Management is about control. Leadership is about accountability and setting clear targets. So we're not spending a lot of time, you know, we're in the office Monday through Wednesday, system-wide, uh, so that we can travel from office to office. We've got three offices, and we always know everyone's gonna be present so they can interact in front of the whiteboard together. We've got big whiteboards in all of our rooms and we get to yeah. them. And then Thursday, Friday, do your solemn work, whether it's customer-focused work or, or writing or planning, um, where we have less meetings. And you can go get it done, and we're not gonna have a culture here where someone's looking over your shoulder. One of the best core values I ever saw right when I walked in was go. And, and I said, Susan, I said, go, greatest of all time. She said, no, greatest of all teams. Yes. I love that. Yes. Did you steal that or did you come up with that? I don't know where things come from. Are there any original <laughs> like, ideas? I asked her, I said, did he steal that? I, She's like, no, I'm pretty sure he came up with that. Yeah, I think I think I, it was a late night. I think I might have just miswrote yeah. it. But yeah, greatest of all teams, um, we're team people here. Yeah. Uh, there's not a singular 
answer for entrepreneurs and for company building. Some folks are individualistic. Amazon is famously an individualistic business culture. They do teams too, but they're really individualistic. Yep. Uh, my last company, Z, Zillow, um, it was famously team-oriented. You know, that's that's something Carrie and I, my co-founder, have carried here. People come here because they want to be part of something larger than themselves. They want to take on really big challenges. Mm -hmm. And the only way for that to be fulfilling is if you look right and you look left and the people on your team are some of the very best you've ever worked with in your life. That's where it's fun to come to work. Yeah. And that's what GOAT is all about, one of our four core values, Chris Fall Teams. And I love it because it speaks to the challenges that you're going to solve for consumers because they're facing really big challenges right now because not that, you know, 6% interest rate or something like that or whatever it is, you know, it changes all the time. So, but, yep. you know, in that range, it's not that it's historically high. KCM has shown us the charts yep. and it's like, oh, wow, 6% is not historically high. But when you think about the last few years, it's a shock to the system. The housing affordability for people shopping in the median price range mm -hmm. in this country, it's unattainable for a lot of folks out there. And you guys are like, okay, we're going to focus on purchase loans. We're not doing refi loans. So we're going to help people obtain the dream of home ownership. But there is a lot of moving parts to that sure and challenges to overcome. What's the biggest challenge buyers or home buyers are faced with right now? Yeah, hey, we're still present in a time when uh, uh, in inventory has been the largest challenge for a long time. Yeah. Uh, uh, then, uh, you know, accessing the right financial product uh, is a very, very stressful time for folks. We call it uh, buyer head. Uh, you know, anyone that's, that's either served customers as an agent or bought a home or done research, it's very, very clear that that what folks think about the home financing process is about stress, worry, fear of humiliation, which really comes from fear of overpaying, and frankly, a cumbersome uh, process, which they do infrequently. And we hear this over and over and over again. I feel like I have a second job when they're doing a real estate transaction. Yes. I'm compensating my real estate agent, my loan officer, the title person. Uh, we're paying these people but I don't know what they're doing because they don't coordinate themselves. I have all the stress, too. I have all the stress. Yeah. It's not fun. So the point of Tomo is, is to simplify the home purchase process, the home purchase financing process. We're a purchase mortgage company only. You're right. We don't do refis. We never have. We never will. I've never seen a, a mortgage company that did those in the same entity well. Because yeah. the moment the rush of refi profits rush in, it wipes everything out. It's a bold statement. Every agent listening right now is like, wait a minute. They're not going to do refis? What about, easy to say right now, what about when refis come back, right? They, you know, they may be thinking, oh, well, they'll, they'll just change when refis come back. But you've made the statement over and over again, we are a purchase shop. Yeah. We want to be the partner of choice for the most productive agents in America. Yeah. And if we do that, we have to practice purchase mortgages in a manner that is far better than others have. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. So maybe if we were more capable business people, we could do 
two things. We could walk and chew gum. <laughs> but purchase mortgage is pretty hard. I'll leave being excellent and refi to others. Yes. We think we can build a sustainable, high-quality company and a sustainable service and partnership for real estate agents and for home buyers if we focus. Where's a lot to do? We we got it. We got to get into the guts of appraisal. Number one thing I hear from real estate agents is, yeah. gosh, help us fix appraisals. And, and that's what you told me a year. By the way, happy anniversary. Thank you. It's a year so in. One year. When you're watching this pod, if you're seeing it on the first day, it's one year. Tomo's yeah. one year and one day old. Yes. So I think tomorrow's the anniversary, right? You're right. Good catch. So, well, Susan told me that. Okay. A little, yeah. a little uh, cliff note before the, <laughs> before the interview. But you told me that when you guys launched, you said appraisal is going to be the challenge that we need to overcome to really streamline this process, make it a, you know, a quicker transaction, a less stressful transaction, yep. uh, a transaction that a consumer feels like they're included in. Yep. We, we've got to accomplish that part of it. In, in a year, has there been any headway on solving appraisal issues? Yeah. Uh, it's a larger thing than just little old Tomo. So, so little old Tomo, which is going to be big Tomo, I promise. 100%. Uh, is we're taking the actions we can. Yeah. So we're getting involved in almost every uh, technology beta program we can out of Washington, D.C. The federal government's actually, you know, we bemoan the federal government. Mm -hmm. They actually want to broaden home ownership. And they believe that by bringing down transaction costs and making it a faster, easier transaction, uh, that, that they can help. And so there's a bunch of quiet work coming out of Washington, D.C. around appraisal waivers, which are starting to hit in, in greater numbers, and desktop appraisals, which I think some are familiar with. Yep. You've got to bring down costs, bring up speed. That's great. What is, and we're on those. Those are a year to two year benefit. In the short term, what we've done over here is we've paid up uh, local appraisals, appraisers. I hear stories from agents every day. Uh, I think I heard Nick Bailey talking about a story on, on your pod recently uh, about an appraiser driving four or 500 miles. Yeah, well, uh, Tom Toole mentioned it on right. the Nick Bailey pod. It was Tom. Pod. It was yeah, on the yeah. Nick Bailey one uh, about that occurring from a different state or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, um, That's a choice of the lender. You have to be willing to pay to select the very finest or be attractive. You can't select your appraisers, but you could attract those mm -hmm. by paying um, a fair dollar for folks that are local and then holding them accountable because uh, you can choose not to work with those that, that aren't great. And that's about uh, managing an appraisal panel properly. And, and, and that's something under control today. I think we're doing really well with that. Hey, the other areas that are very, very clear from agents in particular is rigorous, high-quality communications at the transaction level every single time to know where I stand. Whereas what step are we in this process, right, so that everybody yeah. knows? And don't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, I hear that every day. And this thing that shocks me, I heard it yesterday again from a real estate agent, is I want to feel respected by my partners. And respect is uh, a loan officer in a, in a company that's as embedded in the success of this customer as I, the real estate agent, is. Mm -hmm. And I hear stories from folks all over the country in my travels that they don't feel respected by their, by their national or local mortgage partners. Mm -hmm. That's a really easy thing to fix. That's company culture, yeah. and that's accountability, and that's hiring, and that's management or leadership. Uh, and, and so we're, we're taking pretty bold steps there. You talk to agents all the time, and you talk to them at Z, and you talk to them now, different hats. How have agents perception of you changed from your days at Z to today? I love them. 
And I really do mean that. I, I think real estate agents are an example of what's best in America. You can go out. You can learn. You can get a little mentorship from someone experienced at a broker at a team. You get your license. You start doing one deal. You do 10. And you can grow your business as broad as you want. Yeah. That's the thing, frankly, from my Zillow days, we were most proud of. Carrie and I, who was, who was uh, one of the execs leading the premier agent business, my co-founder on this one, the thousands and thousands of really successful teams and businesses that grew on top of the platform were a blast. And those folks are still with us today. Yeah. Um, they're sending us their customers because they trust us. Uh, and, uh, and they're teaching us a little bit. So, hey, I enjoy not having to play in the portal wars every day. <laughs> it got a little tiring. Yeah. Uh, your lead, my lead, who cares? Uh, your listing, my listing. It's, it's, you know, it's the buyer's listing. Uh, there are a bunch of different business models. I don't think any of them are evil. If you're a portal, if you're a broker, if you're a franchise, if you're a team, if you're an indie, I don't think there's anything inherently good or bad in these models. They're just yep. different. Yep. And that's cool. We should be allowed to do those things. So that the biggest change is I don't have to answer for this estimate any longer, um, which is fun. Uh, and I don't have to get on stage with Andy Florence at CoStar or Errol Samuelson, you know, at Z or Pete Flint and fight it out about business models. How big of an impact do you think Andy Florence is going to make in residential? Yeah, really interesting guy, really compelling business person. Um, I think he can make as big an impact as he wants to, yeah. as he is willing to spend. I think that's pretty different than commercial real estate, though. Oh, they're wildly different. Yeah. Commercial and any agent who's got enough experience and maybe has, has some experience in both can tell you that both of those roles, commercial broker, real estate broker, are very different. The way they operate still today are very different. Yeah. And I have great respect for Andy as a business person. It's funny to hear himself as the white knight of the real estate industry you know, they got a dominant market share of the listings business in commercial. Dominant? It, I mean, it is monopolistic, probably. Your words, not mine. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to get sucked up into a not into a, not a, like into in a bad a, way. Into a case. Hat off <laughs> to him for building a company yeah. that's that powerful. But yeah, if you, I mean, if you're not well, commercial. If you're in commercial real estate, you're paying. You're paying, you're paying for a co-star. You're yeah, paying for a co-star co or, or LoopNet and you want exposure. On period. Yeah. The real estate business is a broader business. The resi real estate business is a broader business. You yeah. can be an MLS member and not participate with a portal. You can participate with a portal uh, and not participate with a franchise. It's quite a bit of a diverse biz. And there are a bunch of very well-funded, very capable companies, small and large in this business. So I, I think getting that dominant a share of this category is quite a bit more difficult. Uh, I don't think residential real estate is going to sign up for an overlord. So you see a, you know, a future, a short-term future, five, 10 years of residential real estate where it looks similar to today where there's a lot of brokerage players, team players. It's not you know just a few portals. You know, there's a lot of different fragmentation still because we have that and different players in the industry. I do. I do. Hey, look healthy at healthy competition. Look at look at I buying, open door offer pad and whatever comes next. Mm -hmm. Low market share, but it's it's going to grow over time. That's a compelling new entrant. Hey, look at uh, uh, Real or EXP. Uh, 
new entrants in, in, in the franchise and the brokerage space. Yes. Um, the team model really has become quite prevalent over the last 10 years, and, and it was much smaller prior to that. You've got portal models. You've got the wonderful business that Glenn has built over at Redfin, mm-hmm. um, which is a totally different model. This is a very diverse, competitive, uh, diverse business model. And I, and I find hard-pressed that, again, this model is going to accept a singular definition for how we do business. I, I think Resi is just too different. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's good. No, it, it speaks to the competition. I mean, we, you ran down all these different models. I mean, power buyers is, is another. There's so many yep. different ways that people are attacking the residential space. It, it creates a really, it creates a great industry. It creates a lot of content for BAM too, by the way. It does. We've got a lot to talk about. I mean, you're about. doing well. Yeah. No, it's fun. So I, I'm, I'm loving the future of the industry. Uh, I do believe we'll probably see, as the market shifts here, maybe a little less members of NAR or less agents or whatever, maybe that's a good thing, bad thing. What does an agent need to do? If, you, if we're just looking at an agent, what do they need to do for their personal business? Is it spend the next 24 months just going deep dive on consumer, brand, local celebrity? What should the agent focus the majority of their yeah. time on? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, and it goes back to entrepreneurial businesses that I, I see present in any business, whether it be an agent or a brokerage or something out of real estate. Either you have a structural advantage or you have a personal advantage or, mm. or, or, or a characteristic advantage. And if you don't have one of those two, uh, you're in what I call the messy middle and you're very, very exposed. A structural advantage is you have a manufacturing, you've got a technology advantage, you've got a data advantage. Structural advantages in real estate are very tough because we've got the MLS. Agree. We've all got access to almost all the inventory, all being not me, but you all, um, have access to almost all the inventory. So a structural advantage is are far and few between. So then you've got to have a brand advantage, a characteristic advantage, which is you've got greater connection Mm-hmm. with individual customers and customers that scale through your brand. And my suggestion for individual real estate practitioners all the way up is know who you are, know what you're marketing, know what your distinction is on your brand and your characteristics. And if you can't sit down and say, my three distinctions are one, two, and three, you're really, really exposed because I guarantee no one else can tell the difference. Yes. It's kind of funny that luxury space, we see a lot of great well-branded agents in the luxury space. Um, usually it's a specialist in a type of home or a type of customer. Yeah. Uh, if you're specialist because you develop better print ads for the Wall Street Journal, that's not real. Yeah. We all have access to the same distribution. Well, the, the specialists that's so deep in that community that they can just drive down the street and say, you know, this house sold for this and you know, these people sold it to these people, and they just are an encyclopedia of that community, yep. having that, that really deep knowledge. Agree with you 100%. It's about the brand. Focus there over the really for the rest of your career, but go deep on it right now as this market shifts. People that really build an amazing brand are going to come out of this thing with a whole lot market share, more market share than they started. What should the agent and lender relationship look like? over the next 24 months? What, what should yep. agents be thinking about how to align with who from a mortgage banking lending perspective? And what, 
you know, a lot of agents hear about products and this and that. What should agents be seeking in that relationship? Yeah. Because products can be commoditized at times. They sure can. They sure can. Hey, a few fold. Um, depends on who your customer is. At Tomo, we're targeting uh, first wave and second wave millennials who love technology and are early adopters. Mm -hmm. The folks that stood out outside of an Apple store uh, originally, and now it's broadened from there. Yeah. Uh, so if you're an agent that's in a more of a metro environment and you're serving folks that all of us now have an iPhone in their hands at all times, but uh, are technically savvy, <laughs> are growth-oriented, tend to be millennials, then you're going to be looking for a lender um, who has wonderful technology, who can start to do things in real time, where uh, both the agent and the borrower, the home buyer, um, can log in at midnight to a system when they actually have their sparse time available and complete their fundamental tasks. Great. So that would be an example of, of that's our, our target audience. So you got to match the lender's characteristic to your target audience. Um, hey, if you're in a retirement market, I'm, 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 I'm casting a wide aspersion maybe, if you're in a retirement market where folks are less technically savvy typically, hey, we may not be the right match for you. Uh, we had a customer on the phone the other day that didn't have e an email address and we we're trying to figure out how to serve a customer without an email address and our systems aren't tuned to that. Ultimately, that customer is better served elsewhere, to tell you the truth. Uh, so if you're an agent, pick a lender and a loan officer or a team who are well-suited to your characteristics of the business you want to build, that's one. Two, a bunch of the business is going to move from qualified mortgages to non-QM, non-qualified mortgages. Yeah. A bunch of, of the business isn't going to be served through traditional, conventional product. So you want a lender that's actually uh, looking at, creatively looking at the problems that exist for home buyers and building unique products, financial products that actually address them, that make their heart run a little easier. So this this product we've talked about, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, jump into that. I want, I want you to dig into some of these products that you, you believe, one, you're on the forefront on, but that are really gonna service the industry at a high level that don't exist today. Yeah, uh, we'll get through a few of them. Um, and it's always drawn from, from what the home buyer's needs are, what are the real estate agents telling us they need, yeah. and then, can we come up with a creative financial product that's reasonably priced uh, that we can get to market uh, while controlling the risk? So on this one, we were hearing from real estate agents and from customers that they were really concerned about rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. It's been the drumbeat, as we well know. We've seen buyers drop out of contract because of that, right? They're you like, bet. oh, I didn't lock in or now I'm under contract and what I'm locking into doesn't look as attractive. I'm going to back away. I'm not going to buy a home now. Yep. Let's anchor to that for just for one second. Yeah. I encourage all of our friends in real estate to talk about monthly co carrying costs, monthly costs, not interest rates. Yes. Most folks cannot correlate an interest rate rise to what it means to them. Our rule of thumb, it's a reasonable rule of thumb, is on an average mortgage, so let's say $350,000, $375,000 mortgage, every percentage point in increase in rate is about 200 bucks of cost a month. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to think about this, which is what's the impact of rising rates. In a luxury market, an extra 200 bucks might not mean that much. Right. In a working market, you know, like a bunch of areas of Connecticut where we are now, extra 200 bucks means a lot, but it makes the topic much more approachable for home buyers if we talk about it 
in the monthly impact. If we're talking about 200 bucks, is there $200 a month that you can find to start building your own equity as opposed to somebody else's? Is that, you know, is it less Starbucks so that you're not paying somebody else's mortgage, but you're building your own equity and and you can really relate it to something they're spending $200 on? It's a lot more practical than talking about interest rates, to your point. You bet. And then, hey, talking about the rising cost of rents Mm -hmm. and about half the major metros in the United States on a per capita basis, it is more expensive to rent yeah. than to own, than to buy. The, the easiest chart in the world to understand is just go on to Redfin Data Center, oh. scroll down to the bottom, and it's like cost of rent, cost of home ownership, and that line is getting a little closer right now, but it is still much more expensive to rent than it is to own a home. And they're not even talking about the future appreciation benefit, the tax benefits, the tax benefits, the paying down debt and earning equity benefits. They're just talking monthly basis, Yep. average monthly payment. Yep. In so many markets, uh, it started to cross over and, and that's, 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 that's unique historically. Um, and then you get to put holes in the walls too, which is fun. Yeah. You get to put your posters up and, and do whatever you want. Um, uh, take me back to our question. But, but, but some of the products that are not traditional that, yeah. I mean, one that we talk about the last couple of weeks on the real world in particular th- that you guys just rolled out lock and shop yep. doesn't exist yep. out there. And it's a way to say, okay, I can explain it to you. What, what the, the ex- explanation that you just made makes perfect sense. Now the $200 take it from here. I want to build home ownership, but you can also have the comfort of, I can lock in for a certain period of time and Tomo's like the only one that's doing this right now. So what is this this new product? Yeah, so start with customer pain. The customer pain was, I'm worried my buying power is going to be reduced when I hear about rising interest rates, yeah. and I won't be able to afford the home of my dreams. So we were hearing that, and so we went to the whiteboard and said, how could we structure some level of rate insurance effectively, which is what Lock & Shop is. Uh, and so what this product is, is you can come to us without a property address, which is reasonably unique, that's the unique part because it I mean, agents know, and you can talk about it in the comments, everybody's lender is like, I can't give you a rate lock until you bring me a contract. Yep. And then every, every agent knows right now that, well, I might have to submit five offers and, and what's happening during that time while we're shopping for homes and we're writing offers, that interest rates continue to tick up and the anxiety of that buyer is increasing. And then the buyer's like, am I going to make a bad decision because I'm rushing? Am I, am I running out of time? Is it going to be seven? Oh, like they're going crazy yep. because of the stress that buying a home brings yeah. on someone. Yeah, that's buyer head, as we call yeah. it. That's the stress, um, the fear. Uh, so on this product, uh, you can do a 120-day lock uh, without a property address. And we price it to the median, to the median rate of the day. So it's not pay massively up for this for this hedging instrument um it's we pick the median price every day we lock it to the median price and then we load this safety feature into it and we think we think we're doing really well uh by customers who are doing this so again 750 bucks in fees not a lot of fees we have no lender fees other than that on this product uh and we lock to the median rate and then you can go out and shop for 100 for 120 days and find your place. To your point, I think it was a half a percent equals to $200. And we're just yeah. rough numbers on that yeah. 350, dollars $370,000 home. 
So in four months, you'd eventually, you'd basically have that money back. You would. <laughs> right. You would. And, and then we factor it out over, you know, the seven year. year mortgage, four uh, months. Yeah, over the seven year, which we all know these numbers, the average American owns their home for seven years. And, and you're talking 20 grand uh, yeah. in some cases, as much as that. So it's a thing to do. That's an example of a creative product. People are in pain. They have a need. Realtors are, are seeing folks fall out uh, and then come up with a product where we take a little financial risk in hedging, interest rate, price it fairly, and then figure out how to communicate about it. That, that's been the challenge on this one because folks don't expect they can lock in a rate for 120 days for a relatively nominal fee and then shop. Yeah. So that's been the fun. That's one. I'll give you another one. Yeah. Um, which is which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, not rolled out yet. Not rolled out yet. Okay. Uh, but n- none of these insights are unique. How you execute them or choose to are unique. There are new ways which we're now allowed to qualify credit FICO scores okay. that the federal government's allowed us to do. One of those is rent is rarely reported to the credit agencies. Correct. So folks that predominantly rent or groups of people that predominantly rent um, tend to have less developed credit. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, if you're someone that doesn't own a home and you're renting and you know if you don't pay your rent, you're not going to get another place. Guess what you do? You pay your rent on time. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to work on, a, on some new some new products that uh, allow us to include rental payment in the qualification of credit ratings. And so it's going to broaden home ownership to mm. folks who actually deserve high quality, conventional like pricing on their homes where it's not been open to them before. It tends to be people of color um, who have been impacted by that. That's another example of a product that we're working on now um, to broaden home ownership. And it's great fun to help yeah. people. I mean, broadening home ownership is something everybody can get behind, especially if they just see that one, you know, chart where it's like, if you're a homeowner, your wealth is way up here. It's like 75x somebody who's a renter, right? You and bet. so, um, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast that we certainly can get into. But if you're an agent right now, if you're a team leader, if you're a broker, this is the type of education that you need to know intuitively and be hosting webinars, seminars in your you office, bet. getting people from the community during these times in your space so that they understand not only what their options are, but what that means for them over the lifetime of being a renter of what, you know, compared to owning a home, what that, what's that going to mean for you and your family and for your wealth? Yep. We've got a team of folks that are in markets all over the country, uh, who, who do financial education for real estate agents in particular. And it's not to teach them the fundamentals of mortgage. Many know that already. It's what's coming down the pipe in new products and new opportunities for their customers that we support or others support uh, so that they can provide that that guidance um, to home buyers. So there's a squad of folks always available. All right. So let's wrap this, this pot up with this. If you were to give your Tom Ferry life hack. I, you know, I had to drop his name because he gave me this aura ring and he's yeah. tracking me like, um, I haven't got like Axelrad yeah. uh, tracked the, everybody on the billions, you know, yeah. on the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I love it. He's, tra- he's listening right now. To Hi us. Tom. So if you were to give your Tom Ferry life hack to be a really successful business entrepreneur, whatever it is, is that a routine for you? Is that some type of health thing? Like, what's your hack that gives you 
all this energy to be so creative, to be a great leader, to be in your business all the time. What is it that drives you to do that? Yeah. What can people, what could people do that they could take and actually apply it for themselves? Yeah. Two things uh, that have worked for me. Uh, one, join a cause. And business, whatever business you're working on, you better have a cause. You better have a bigger purpose mm -hmm. than just making a buck. You, you know, knocking down walls, revolutionary zeal, um, fills us to drive change. So that would be the first. In real estate, it's about serving people. Uh, that's my cause. I adore real estate agents. I want to make this a better, and home buyers, I want to make this a better industry uh, where we get folks into homes more quickly than ever before with less pain. That's my, that's my zeal. Yep. Okay, so we, we each better be able to answer that very quickly if we're going to get fulfillment from our careers. And the second thing is, so have a purpose larger than yourself. The second, the second play is your time is all you have. You must be the most intentional in time management. And I've got a little hack to do that was given to me. I don't do to-do lists. To-do lists are a noose around our necks in many ways. Mm. If it's going to go on a list, it has to go on your calendar. Okay. You have to be willing to schedule time to do something, in my case, Google Calendar, if it's important to do. And if you're not willing to schedule time to work on something, it's going to sit on that list as a burden forever. It's a little thing, right? I don't know if you do do a similar thing. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. we actually do like a rolling to-do list every week, but it is things that are due that week. So they're on the calendar intuitively, Good. right? They're, they're coming out of our, what we call our L10 meeting Good. and onto who's in charge, goes onto that person's calendar. And then the next Monday it's yes or no, done or not. And Good. it's it's only you know acceptable not being done if there was some other unforeseen issue that would have blocked that from being accomplished, whatever that issue was or that to-do was. That's, that's cool. I, yeah. I, I think that's a good way to do it. I learned that one. Um, when raising venture capital, we raised a bunch of venture capital um, for, for Tomo, about $130 million of venture capital to get this company going. Um, you, you do a bit of a beauty contest where you meet all these investors and they pull apart your business plan and your soul and decide if they're going to bet on you. And so one of the, I, I can't name his name, but one of the most prominent investors in the world, big, big, Big deal, yep. big deal investor um, uh, was zooming in with me and I was ready for the diligence questions at the big book on the financial picture, the real estate market share stuff, mortgage market share. I was ready to go and he said, open your Google calendar. It was the most strange thing I'd ever seen. And he spent two and a half hours going through my month of every meeting I had in Google Calendar because he said it would be a window into my soul for how I spent my time as a business person. That's incredible. Right? And that was the core. He did more diligence than that. No, but that but was it, the core in evaluating my character yeah, yeah. as a leader. And he invested, thank goodness. Um, so he liked what he saw. Liked, did you have, do you have, like me, I got all these color boxes that mean different, different time blocks. Are you, are you that? What's your Google Calendar look like? Uh, packed. 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 Every minute is packed, including free thinking is scheduled and I stick to it. I don't, you know, there's not a color wheel that I use in particular. Yeah. There's lots of colors on it, but um, from dawn to dusk, every minute is scheduled. Uh, and I'll, I'll get another hack. I don't take meetings before 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. Now, I start working at 6.30 a.m., but I don't take meetings during that slot because I try to think and write. So you're thinking and writing from 6.30 or whatever till about 9? 
we're all big proponents of like starting your morning off right. Could you speak a little bit more about to that morning routine? What is it that you're journaling? How are you ideating within the business to kind of excel the rest of your day? Are you working out? Do you have like a set routine that you feel oh, yeah. helps you throughout the day? Morning routine is 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 key. It stages the entire day and energy flow is critical for an entrepreneur because there's an unending number of things to do. One, sleep. You must have whatever your critical sleep window is. I don't violate that ever. I need to be asleep before 11 p.m. to have cognitive clarity the next day. I wish I could be a midnight guy. I'm not. Uh, and if I get to sleep in the tens, I'm that much stronger on a percentage basis the next day. That's one. Two, um, regular schedule, so 5.30 a.m. Uh, and then athletics, uh, I'm way happier and more pleasant to be around when I swim in the mornings. Uh, and then I, I hit my calendar, uh, review calendar, and then I review my priorities. I handwrite my priorities every single morning for the day uh, in longhand, uh, never on a computer. I have to actually write those things down. And then throughout the day, I'm crossing those things off to keep myself accountable. And then I must have an hour to myself, no kids, no spouse, no teammates, where I am thinking and writing and doing. And I'd like to think as a CEO, I'll get more than an hour. I never do. If I get an hour a day to do my own work product, I'm pretty happy and successful. That's my time. Yeah. That's my time. Um, it was fun to talk. Yeah, it was really fun. What, one more question. Yeah. What, what are the, like, what do you, you got to read every single day? Is it Wall Street Journal? Like, what, what are there two or three things you have to read? Yeah, uh, certainly the, the mundane journal. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to read some industry stuff, yeah. uh, certainly. And then I'm, on, I'm using Twitter as my news source. Okay. I, I want to know what everybody's thinking about. The consensus. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's probably what I do. Cool. And then the New York Post. Cool. Because it's fun. <laughs> I love it. Really appreciate you. This is, we're going to do another one. Yeah. I mean, me being uh, in Connecticut here for the summer or yeah. time to time, I definitely want to come check you guys out. Incredible office, incredible space. Really appreciate, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks. Awesome.